0: Hello and welcome to Mirrorly. I'm Kate Gray Johnson
1: and I'm Brie Keim and this is a podcast where we talk about body image using our own personal stories to reflect on the lies that we believe about ourselves, our bodies, and each other.
0: hey everybody welcome back to merrily episode four
1: yay episode four
0: (laughs) so last week we heard from brie about her experience with anorexia and this week yes it is this week um is my story and my experience with bulimia and i feel like we have to preface this a little bit because it kind of starts in a weird abrupt place So I think we alluded to, if not straight up explained last time, that we recorded your episode a second time Mm -hmm. because the first time
1: it was just, (laughs) it was a mess. I was like, I don't even know where I'm, what I'm saying or where I'm going with this.
0: I feel like the inverse happened with me where like the first time we recorded, I basically just went beat by beat of like, what happened? But it didn't really get to the root of what was going on. So after we recorded i was like okay yeah we should re-record that like i need to take a minute and figure out what was going on inside as opposed to just this is what happened yeah and so we did that
1: (laughs) but (laughs) it's it's hard because we're we're learning how to articulate and share our stories in a way that makes sense and that gets our point across and that is also true to what we went through and what we were feeling and all of those things and it's hard to do that <laughs> like it, it's harder than it sounds like it would be I think we both discovered that so yeah the second time that we recorded Kate's episode it was difficult to I mean I don't want to speak for what you were feeling but from my perspective of that conversation, it was difficult for you to not get too in your head about what you were saying and not yeah. not try to focus on the way that it sounded. What The reason for
0: all this explanation is where this episode starts is going to start kind of after a little bit of a breakdown. <laughs> We started re-recording and I just felt like I was articulating myself in the exact same way that I had the first time we recorded it, which didn't work in my opinion. And I was having a hard time breaking through that. And I just got really overwhelmed and kind of fell apart. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Which is totally fine. And so uh, guys, it's fine to have emotional breakdowns. (laughs) we paused what we were doing and we started talking and you just took some time to express what you were feeling and then after that we started talking again and we kind of went back into like kate started going back into telling her story and then just hit record and we kept going i don't know i i don't know about you but like on reflecting
0: on how that all played out i think it brought out your strengths in interviewing because you know how to empathize and meet someone where they're at and guide them through like an emotional experience.
1: Oh, thanks. (laughs) I think that listening to this episode, um, you might feel a little bit, like Kate said, you might feel a little bit lost when you first start. Um, however, it's, I mean, it's like eavesdropping on a conversation. Isn't that what a podcast is? And so you'll you'll get there. (laughs) You'll um, you'll be able to understand what's going on. It's not like a wildly mysterious conversation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The
0: only information that you kind of miss by not hearing a pre-Kate breakdown is that I graduated college. I was depressed for a year, but I came out of that when I started working. And I started working as an assistant to a costume designer and a a set production assistant. Yeah. But that's really the only like (laughs) key information that you miss. Yeah. I think we kind of pick up a little bit
1: after that. Yeah. I feel like that sets it up pretty well. All right. Well, have fun guys (laughs) (laughs) enjoy episode four hearing kate's story what do you remember about your jobs that you're talking about in terms of that connection what do you mean like you said that you don't necessarily remember specific moments except for in relation to the work that you were doing so what are those things
0: but like, what do you mean by that? I don't even know what you mean.
1: Oh, um, I think I'm asking for an example of what's one of the moments that you do remember in terms of your work. Just any random moment of working? In terms of this, even if it's something you've already told me or you already shared, I think I'm just asking in terms of having an eating disorder, what you mean by like only remembering it in. The terms of the job that you were doing. I just mean that I remember
0: experiences working that didn't have anything specific to do with this. I didn't purge at work. Mm -hmm. But if you're asking me to remember stories or anecdotes or specific moments or thoughts or feelings that I had when I went to purge, it's not a narrative. Okay. It's just... I ate a lot, I felt bad about it, I wanted to take it back, so I did.
1: But then what, like, yes, but what's this, what are the stories that don't?
0: Oh, well that, that could just be so many things, (laughs) so I don't really know what to say. Yeah. If it's, if it's about a work experience that I had that has nothing to do with being bulimic, it just kind of exists within the same space,
2: mm-hmm.
0: then that could just be so many things. Right. The pattern that I see in writing these notes is that I was depressed. I had trouble breaking in and I felt like I didn't look the part. When I got work, I learned... I got to know the city and I felt more comfortable in it. And I was excited, but that dissipated. And like two years into doing that work, I felt stuck again. And so that not looking the part came back into play. And that felt like the only thing I could control. Like I felt like I couldn't make somebody with more power than I had think I was special. I couldn't. And I didn't want to be a schmoozer. I didn't want to just hone in on who are the important people. I'm gonna go try to make friends with them. A, I don't think that would have worked for my personality, and B, I just didn't wanna be that person. Within the experience of going all in on being in film, I did quickly learn in the midst of the burnout that I didn't wanna sell my soul for that, you know? I thought it was still important to have time for myself outside of work. I very actively made the choice that I will not be the workaholic in this space I just can't I don't think that's a good way to live your life Yeah. but you can't make someone notice you or care about what you care about and that's not to say nobody noticed me it's just nobody that could help me or was willing to help me um, move forward in that space So the feeling of not looking the part just kind of came back around. And that's that felt like the only thing I could change. And I think breaking in made the present feel worth being present in. Because it feels like it's connected to the future. But when things feel like they stall, they start to feel disconnected from your future. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at where you are versus where you imagine you'll be and everything looks so different that you don't know how to bridge that gap. Part of that was how I looked. How I imagined looking in this future where I was doing all the things I wanted to be doing and had the things I hoped to have, was being challenged and growing in the ways I wanted to be challenged. I looked different too. I looked thinner. And I had no idea how to change what was happening at work. I had no idea how to change anything. It's, it's almost like falling in love. You can't control whether someone falls in love with you. You can't control when that person shows up. You can put yourself out there, but if you don't meet someone you fall in love with, then you don't meet them. And if you fall in love with someone who doesn't fall in love back, then they just don't fall in love back. You can't change those things. And that's how it felt to be in that place before I got work. And then that couple years into work, it just felt like I was doing everything I could think to do and everything that I felt like I had the capacity to do. And it, it wasn't changing anything. And so the thing that I saw in that future when I was writing and directing movies was also that I was thinner. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I filled the time that felt like it had no other purpose with food or food had always been a distraction. And I knew, I knew what I was doing. It wasn't like your experience with anorexia where you just kind of, you slid into that, but you never quite believed that it was anorexia. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I know that when I first went to purge, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And it was just that need to try to do something to get me closer to that picture of what I wanted my future to be.
2: Yeah.
1: Did it also feel like when you weren't getting noticed by the people who you felt like maybe could move you forward, did that also play into... Or is that also one of the things that brought that back up too, of like, well, maybe if I looked different
0: right sure it's kind of like seeing the cool kids in school and being like what's the dividing line Mm -hmm. so much of how we process being young adults is based on what we experienced in school or we experienced as kids yeah like you just can't untangle that and the older you get the smaller those bad experiences become in proportion to the rest of your life but i think the thing about being a kid And having the things that impact you that impact you stick with you in the way that so many other things just don't, even if they're more dramatic, is because at that time that was the event of your life and you hadn't had much else to compare it to. It just ripples through your whole understanding of yourself and it never quite leaves. And so I think, yeah, when when people compare Hollywood to high school, I always kind of roll my eyes, mostly because my high school experience was not... Like I've said in the past, it wasn't like a movie. But the concepts of the cool kids and the weirdos or the outcasts, that's a general school or childhood experience. And even in a in a work environment, not limited to film, I assume, <laughs> um, you look around and the powerful people are dressed differently or carry themselves differently or still feels like there's some kind of stratification between you and the powerful people.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that stands out to me in what you're saying is that in deciding or choosing to start that cycle of binging and purging, Not because you felt like it was a good idea, but just because you felt like you didn't have another option because you had already tried so many things that weren't working for you. And I think that that is probably a lie that a lot of people believe and experience when we're making decisions like that that we know aren't good for us because usually on some level even if like me like you're not calling it what it is but on some level you know that what you're doing isn't good and whenever you're making a decision like that it's because you're believing in some capacity that there's no other option for you
0: something i remember from you sharing is even though you didn't call it anorexia or you just didn't accept it as that at that time you still didn't believe it was sustainable what you were doing you kind of even though you weren't like i'm anorexic you still had this thought well this isn't sustainable but this is fine for now Mm -hmm. and i think having gone into bulimia really aware of i'm i'm gonna be bulimic now (laughs) um is that I didn't think that was sustainable either. I just thought, I'll do this till I get to the point that I want to be at and then I'll stop. Like a diet.
2: Yeah.
0: Honestly, that's how we think about diets too. It was like, I don't plan on only eating salads or completely cutting out sugar forever or whatever you decide is going to help. I just plan on doing that till I'm thinner. Is how I felt about being bulimic.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's that sense that, like, you still have control over what you're doing. Or, or I mean, that you feel like you do, because I can stop whenever I want.
0: It was really the belief, too, that if this is how I get to the results that I want, I will feel better at the end of this. Yeah. This isn't good for you, but I don't know, I, th- I think there's also, like, some misunderstanding I had that when you have an eating disorder you don't have control over yourself in that and I felt like I had control over myself in doing that like I felt like I was very actively making that choice it, it didn't feel like an addiction or anything
2: mm-hmm.
0: I felt like I was making the choice to do that consciously and even though I knew it was bad for me that I wasn't going to do it long enough for it to really harm me. I was just going to do it till I got some results.
1: Yeah. What happened once you were in that cycle? Well, I never did it at work
0: because I felt like that would get in the way of work. And again, I had control over this. Um, I definitely got comfortable with some of the weirder aspects. Like I had a routine. And even the routine of how I would binge and purge, I didn't want it to damage my vocal cords, So I always drank a lot of water afterwards and I didn't want it to turn my teeth clear like you see in the books when you're in high school. So I would rinse my teeth with water and then wait a beat and like really gently brush them. I don't know if those things were actually doing what I thought in my mind they were doing to prevent me from reaping these dramatic consequences that I saw in a high school textbook. But yeah, I had a system in place of how I would do that. I mostly would do it when my roommates weren't home. I think there were only maybe a couple times where I felt like I had to be sneaky about it, but normally not. Sometimes I'd weigh myself before and after so that I could see the difference in real time.
1: I just kind of want to uh, what's that called? Like do a quick callback to our second episode, because you had said that one of the habits that you picked up when you had, sorry, I should preface that with you shared before that you had lost weight in a healthy way when you were in middle school and had picked up some unhealthy habits when you were doing that. And one of those things was weighing yourself every day, or at least it turned into an unhealthy habit. And I think it's interesting that so long after that came back around because
0: I didn't ever stop weighing myself every day. There was a low key between then all the way up until I was bulimic. This low-key sense of, I need to know where I'm at. Mm. It didn't always dictate some kind of diet spiral or anything when I'd go up and down, but I did always kind of want to be, I think because when I came into realizing that I was chubby in middle school, that felt like a shock or that felt like a surprise. The veil had been lifted. I think I maintained that habit. Because even if it went up or down and I wasn't going to do anything dramatic about it, I wasn't going to be surprised again in that way. Hmm. So did I start using the scale in new and more neurotic ways when I was bulimic? Yes. But did I ever stop checking my weight? No.
1: I think one of the really big takeaways that I get when I listen to you tell that part is that I know that you've already said things like this before but that those lies that you believed and the habits that you formed that eventually turned into having an eating disorder that happened over a long time and those things were brewing in you for a while and it sounds like you didn't have full-on eating disorder in terms of of binging and purging bulimia and you can you can disagree with me because this is your story but there is such a thing as just disordered eating that I think a lot of us experience and we don't even realize it. But it's just this unhealthy relationship with food where we do things like binging without calling it binging. Or we do things like skip meals because we, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I always, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm not actually speaking personally, but things like, oh yeah, like I always skip breakfast. And we do it because I want to be thinner, but we just kind of call it a life habit or something that we just do because that's how we live our lives. And we, but that is an unhealthy relationship with food or it stems from an unhealthy relationship with food and is a form of disordered eating, even if it's not the extremes that we think of. And I think it's just important to take note in your story that because you were so conscious of making that decision and calling it what it was when you were doing it, in terms of bulimia, it wasn't a snap judgment decision for you. I think I'm just realizing and listening to you, oh, all of those things sound like they were already building up into that point
0: definitely and I had tried dieting before that too there's a reason why I felt like that was my only option left Mm -hmm. you know it's not that I had never tried a fast or tried cutting out this thing in the ways that are presented as completely normal I mean, not every single diet under the sun was available to me because like you know, couldn't do Atkins, couldn't do keto. I mean, that wasn't really a thing at that time, but there was so many I couldn't do because I couldn't eat lean meat, but I tried plenty of things.
2: Yeah.
0: And I, and I didn't go back to the way I lost weight in middle school because like I said, I had my formula, so I was getting carbs and sugar and protein from that full dose. But other than that, I was eating just salads. So in terms of the enjoyment of food, nutritionally and calorically, I was getting enough. But in terms of just the pleasure aspect of food, because food is fuel, but it's also meant to be enjoyable. Not every meal has to be an experience, but food is meant to be enjoyable and enjoyed. And the reason I didn't go back to that later to lose weight is because I knew it wasn't sustainable. I knew I didn't want to eat salads for the rest of my life. Not because I couldn't with my formula get what I needed from eating that way, but because I wanted to enjoy food. I mean, I love salads, but (laughs) every salad under the sun is not, it's hard to just eat salads for the rest of your life.
2: Yeah.
0: It's just not fun. So I I think even then, I knew that wasn't going to work. Which is so ironic, because I knew bulimia wasn't sustainable either. But at that time, I don't think I thought very clearly about the sustainability of something. Yeah. I think because I felt like I lost weight, but then here I am all these years later where I feel like I need to lose weight again. Maybe it was more than just some kind of mature consciousness about sustainability of something and more so, well, that worked, but it didn't work forever. Never tried bulimia. Maybe if I lose weight that way, that'll just work forever. I don't know.
1: Well, I think that it makes sense when you take into account, though, that the more you feel like you've tried things and are running out of options, the less absurd the negative options seem. So, when you decide like, oh, maybe I can do this and then I could still enjoy the foods that I want to enjoy but I don't have to deal with the quote-unquote consequences of enjoying those foods, then what did end up happening with Well, that? I'd have to
0: say that that wasn't my mentality okay. about it. It wasn't, I want to enjoy things but then not suffer the consequences. Similar concept, but it was more like, I'm going to make the mistake anyways.
2: Hmm.
0: I need to be able to take it back. Purging felt like penance.
1: That actually makes a lot of sense because it is more of, I mean, we've said this so many times now, I feel, but that because an eating disorder is really just, usually grasping on for some kind of control and so in that way of feeling like what i'm gonna like i can't control what i'm doing in terms of what i'm eating or what i'm putting in my body but i can control whether it stays there or not that's just a, a really i think a really deep insight into the things that, or I guess the lies, that we can believe when we feel that out of control. A question, and you don't have to answer this, but a question that I did want to ask you was how did being bulimic affect your relationships? Did you feel like it had an effect on anything in particular?
0: I don't think it had an effect on the relationships that I had that were already grounded. But I think this relates not just to being bulimic, but when you feel bad about yourself or when you want to be the best version of yourself and that in your head means looking a certain way, but you don't feel like you're there, you're more closed off from being open with new people, you know? So I think I was pretty guarded. And you meet a lot of new people when you work. It's like new people every single day. I mean, this is part of my nature anyways, but I think I was guarded in a a particular way. And I think when, when you're focused on your own appearance, when you're focused on any particular feature of yourself, You do filter how people are responding to you through that. Like, you think everything is related to that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel like that with my close friendships or my family relationships, but in the day-to-day work environment.
1: Did you find it hard to stay present when you were directly dealing with being in a cycle of binging and purging? Like... All of the ways that you felt bad about yourself, was it hard to stay present in work or just life in general?
2: I.
0: When we talked about re recording your episode, because the first time we recorded it, you just didn't feel like it was cohesive or made a lot of sense. It was mm-hmm. the first time you'd articulated that story. My advice to you was to make a timeline, right? Yeah. Just, you know, gives the emotional person a little more structure to process through. And when I tried to take my own advice on that, the actual experience and pinning it down to an age or a time was very difficult for me. So I think in some regards, yes. I think a lot of the stories and the anecdotes of my experience working probably happened over that period of time. I'm sure I remember plenty. I remember so many things. They're just all kind of in a blender of that general time period. But I know that before I started purging, and I think I've said this to you before, that food was a way of feeling present. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, this cupcake is right in front of me and it's here and now, and I don't know if it'll be there tomorrow, so I'm going to have it here and now. In other spaces, it was very hard for me to be present because while I have so many good, interesting, weird, funny memories from doing that work, and I definitely had moments of being very present, that work felt like a part of a, a story that wasn't about that moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I had this imagined future for myself that this fed into, but didn't look like this specifically. I don't know that being bulimic or being specifically in a place where I'm actively bulimic shifted that greatly, but that existed Mm -hmm. in and around that time.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And I think when you see yourself that badly, but you can imagine yourself, again, I can imagine the the version of me in the future that's thinner. I don't know if you ever felt like this, but it always feels like, oh, well, not with your closest friendships, right? But in the work environment or with people that you want to get to know or whatever, it feels like, oh, well, now they're always going to, this is always going to be their first impression of me. Mm-hmm. They're never gonna think of me as just that future self so it's kind of tainted
1: interesting yeah yeah I do understand that though I think maybe maybe the question that I asked you was reverse in what the actuality was of it was is that and we've talked about this on previous episodes that The lies that we believed as kids and as teenagers and as adults, they, most of them didn't stem around food, but that's where we put them or that's how they kind of bled over. And so maybe I think what you just said is really an example of that, of waiting because in the future, I will be, whatever you tell yourself like I'll be better or I'll be in a position of power or I'll be it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you're picturing your future to be but then it kind of can become just about that right and then it is hard to be present when you're so focused on that bigger story of where you want your life to go and so those things it's not so much maybe that having an eating disorder or your relationship with food bleeds over into those things but those things bleed over into that does that make sense
2: Mm -hmm.
1: do you have any specific moments that you remember and want to share about I guess about how that feeling of taking control like that shaped your experience of being present does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have anything I could say about how that shaped my feeling of being present. When you're doing something dramatic, for lack of a better word, you feel present.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so I guess there's that, but I don't, I couldn't assess even from my vantage point now whether that's what I needed in life, just to feel present. Mm. I don't think that was the crux of what was happening. I'm sure that I could have benefited from knowing how to be present in healthier ways. And I think we all need to know how to be present, just as much as we all need to have some kind of sense and vision for the future. Sure,
2: yeah.
0: You know, like, that's not a bad thing. It's living in that space or being so focused on that space that it takes you away from the present. That's a problem. But you need both of those, just as much as you need to be able to reflect on the past. All those spaces are important. They just kind of get out of whack sometimes. I will say that binging, we kind of talked about, binging and purging as the binging feeling like I was making a mistake and the purging being taking that back and once you kind of commit to bulimia or at least this was my experience making the mistake no longer felt as overwhelming Mm. as it had before didn't feel like you were ruining anything in the same way you felt like you were ruining a diet or a plan because this was the plan Mm. um and then in some ways, even though there are still so many negative feelings wrapped up in that, you can just enjoy eating the food. I remember getting kind of addicted, for lack of a better word, to the feeling of being overfull, because that meant now I was ready. I was primed to go purge. Yeah. In the same way that I think when I you're dieting and you go to sleep and you have a little bit of a pang of hunger. You're like, Oh, I'll be lighter tomorrow. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's almost the inverse of that, but the same sensation of like now's time. Yeah. So in that sense, I felt freed to lean into the pleasure aspect of food, I suppose Mm -hmm. without wrapping it up in the kind of guilt that I was wrapping it up in before. And, you know, we mentioned Set has a lot of free food, so I had plenty of ammo. (laughs) Um, Again, I wasn't purging actively in the middle of a workday, but, you know, you bring some food home or you purge when you get home at the end of that day kind of thing. So, uh, you know, that is still true. (laughs) Um, I do remember when you live that way, I think probably with anything, eventually you have to up the ante. it to be fun you have to eat more or you try that one thing and it it didn't give you the same joy that it did so now you have to try the other flavor to you know you just keep eventually i i definitely remember getting to a point where i would look at a cupcake and be like i don't even want that right now it's not even going to taste good to me anymore but it's there and i can have it because i'll purge it later so I'll have it. I got some results from being bulimic, but it was not like I dramatically lost weight. So after a period of time where my gag reflex was a little more dulled, it took more work (laughs) to purge because I'd been doing it for so long um, and I wasn't even really enjoying the food anymore and I lost a little bit, but I was at a quote unquote plateau. <laughs> so funny to talk about a plateau and talking about an eating disorder. Uh, but I remember just thinking, well, this is bad for me and I wasn't going to do this forever, anyways. I should probably stop. And I did for a while, for a good chunk of months, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I did end up relapsing because. I still wanted to be thinner. I still felt like I was out of options. I still felt stuck. And I think I relapsed at home maybe a couple times, but they were one-offs and it was just kind of like, that was just a one-off. I'm not like back to doing that again. I just, that feeling of making a mistake and that relief of taking it back doesn't just leave you, you know? that system giving you some kind of relief especially if you've avoided it for a while the last time i ever binged and purged i was at work and our lunch break came around and i had eaten a lot that morning and then i ate lunch and it was another one of those situations Where even though I wasn't in that cycle, just I had eaten so much and none of it was fun to eat. Mm. I just kept eating, searching for the fun. And by the time our lunch break rolled around, I just felt overwhelmed by how terrible a decision that was and how it didn't even pay off in any regards. Mm. I think there were a couple of times that I felt like I overate before, but I could justify not going to purge because I was like, well, it gave me some satisfaction and that's not a good idea. And I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And so I'll just take my lumps because at least I found a little bit of satisfaction in it. But that was a day where, yeah, I just felt like I had made that mistake again. And I think I felt free to go purge because so much time had passed. And a one-off didn't feel like it was as bad for you as a consistent habit. So I felt like I could justify it. And in my mind was certain that this wasn't going to ever become that perpetual habit again. I mean, it didn't, but I don't think I was correct in thinking that necessarily, you know? Yeah. I just want to clarify that. That was me telling myself that. But I had never, like I said, I had never purged at work. So I was very, very s- intentional about being discreet about it. And I was, I'll name drop this one time because I just love that. Piece too. <laughs> I was on Warner Brothers lot. <laughs> um So, yeah, I was working on a show on the Warner Brothers lot, and um, we were on a stage closer to the back lot, but the show had a different stage on the opposite side of the lot. And it's a big, it's big, it just... It's It's a big, yeah, it's a big lot. So I was very intentional about being discreet about doing that, so I walked to this other stage, and another part of walking over there was this stage had what you call gold rooms, Um, cast gold rooms. So they were like these little mini hotel rooms, almost big bathrooms, couches in them and stuff where, you know, actors on sitcoms would hang out between their scenes and stuff. Anyways, I went there because it was on the other side of the lot, far away from everybody. And also because there would be room for me to do my business. (laughs) You know, a a bathroom that is not your personal bathroom is always dirty. But Mm. for some reason, those just seemed cleaner to me.
2: Yeah.
0: I would also just like to note there was never a period of time during this where I was like, barfing isn't gross. I always thought it was gross. That's just how desperate I felt. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good
1: thing to clarify.
0: I, I think some people think, well, I'd never be anorexic because I love food so much. I think some people think I'd never be bulimic because that sounds disgusting. It's not really the way it works when you get to that point. Yeah. Never say never, guys.
1: (laughs) My gosh, Kate. (laughs) Uh,
0: Because we certainly did and look at us now. (laughs) But yes, so I went over there and I did what I had done in the past. I purged. Um, I was wearing this sweater that I think I still own. Hmm. I, I don't think, I know, I know I still own it. Yeah, so I so I pushed up my sleeves as one does when one is puking into a toilet. <laughs> and I thoroughly washed my hands and I walked back across the lot to set. And after our lunch break, when we went back to work, I caught a whiff of vomit on my sleeve. Like, I just smelled it there. And I was horrified. And I think I realized this about this moment when I was listening to you talk about, you know, the tail end of your anorexia. Yeah. And that dipping to the underweight line. And I think that was the moment for me when it caught that with where I was like, oh, I'm not in control of this anymore. And not just... I'm not in control of this anymore, but this is now making me uglier than I started. Wow. So I didn't do it again.
1: That's such a, like, that's such a real and terrible feeling. That's the reality of it, isn't it? Is that coming out of an eating disorder realizing that you need to stop doing what you're doing I think the only way that that can happen is when something finally breaks and
0: it's really it's really frightening when that that break actually happens yeah because you realize how dependent you were on that lie to feeling safe
1: exactly
0: for all the destruction they cause i think a lot of lies make us feel safe in some kind of capacity
1: yeah and then when they're broken it's like it's kind of like this It might sound like a a very classic but also weird comparison is like because you know like the domino effect but But here's where I'm going to throw a twist into the domino effect of, you know, when you're, when you set up dominoes to knock them over on purpose, but like in the process of intentionally setting each one, you're almost at the end and you're, you've almost gotten it to where you want it to be and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And then you accidentally knock one over and it just destroys the whole thing. And that feeling of being like I was so close, and I worked so hard, and now it's all gone, and I have to start over. But then, where that where that comparison kind of falls apart is, well, does and doesn't fall apart is that sense of needing to start over, in bringing it back to the reality state of when a lie gets broken down. It's like now that I can't believe that anymore. I have to start over from scratch because I now recognize that it's not true. And so now, not only do I have to start over, but I feel like I'm starting over with nothing except a very painful truth that you just learned. But it is that that becomes the foundation for, I don't know about you, but it felt like I had wasted a lot of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For sure. That's the thing, and this is probably a good place to end because we're starting to peek into next episode where we'll talk about what we've already hinted at. The whole mentality that you're living in when you're living in that space with an eating disorder doesn't go away, and that was a shock to me. Me too. Um, and it's definitely not something I realized right away either. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things that crept up on you,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but to kind of Lay the foundation out for that next episode but also tie this all back to where i was at i felt like i had wasted a lot of time because making that choice to be bulimic to jump off that cliff which for me was a very conscious choice was supposed to get me closer to that future that was like my last ditch effort at making that change happen and when the lie broke When I realized that that failed, I looked back at the time that I had spent, and it's as though I had delayed getting closer to that future for all that time. The distance between present me and future me, in my mind, in that headspace that I was at, was still just as far. And that's its own brand of overwhelming.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that is where we will end for today, then.
0: Thank you, Breekheim, for helping me uh, get through this. And I appreciate you and all your
1: questions. And I like processing with you.
2: I like processing
1: with you too. And yeah, anytime. This was good. I appreciate you sharing all of this. Right, back at gotcha. We will see everyone next week back here on Mirror of Thanks. Bye. Bye.